0: Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck.
1: What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 21 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guest today is a man, but not just any man. He's a real man. In fact, he's the last real man. He's also a two-time former ROH World Television Champion and one half of the highly successful, highly entertaining Two Guys, One Tag. He is Silas Young. Silas, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me on, Kevin. Oh, it's great to speak with you. i
1: uh, got to ask you first off, uh, and we're not going to give away any spoilers here, obviously, but we had the recent uh, set of TV tapings. You were involved in that um, this coming weekend, which is the weekend of September 12th. Those shows will begin airing, featuring the beginning of the ROH Pure Title Tournament, and that'll play out over the next eight weeks of television. You were a part of that. So how did it feel after all this time, going back to the end of February, to finally be back inside the ring doing your thing?
0: Uh, I got to be honest with you, I, I was really nervous. You know, I've been wrestling for uh, a little over 18 years at this point. And besides um, dislocating my elbow very, very, very early into my career and then tearing my ACL in 2014, I've never had any real long breaks away from the ring. And in, in those cases, it was injury. So it was something that, you know, even even if I wanted to, i couldn't because i had to let my body heal so you know i was definitely i was definitely nervous about it um, you know what is that it's about six months at that point that that we hadn't been we hadn't been wrestling you know and there really the world's closed down there really wasn't anywhere to to go train and for people that are involved in the wrestling business they know that you can go to the gym you can work out you can run you can do burpees you can do the elliptical you can do stair climbers but there's nothing that really uh, mimics the cardio output that you need, like pro wrestling. So uh, I was I was definitely nervous uh, going into it. But, you know, after the fact, you know, I, I, I clearly, you know, uh, trained appropriately going into it. But I was definitely super nervous about that. And just going so long without wrestling, just wondering, like, am I going to forget how to wrestle? You know, so <laughs> de- definitely nervous going into it.
1: Well, how did it go? Did you notice any ring rust or, or did you just shake it off right away? Or like, what was it like um, when you finally locked up?
0: Uh, you know, I, I actually felt, I felt pretty good. I did notice a little bit towards the tail end. I felt like I was getting a little bit, a little winded, but you know, luckily it just worked out where, you know, I had a few seconds to be able to catch my breath. But I, I, I think I just tried to kind of tell myself going in to just let my, my muscle memory take over. You know, I think it's one of those things where if you sit there and you think about it too much, that's where you might end up messing up or end up getting hurt. So I just tried to just let my body uh, know what to do, so to speak.
1: You have a ring in your backyard, don't you? Did you get a chance to get in the ring to even just roll around a little bit beforehand?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, I do have a ring set up and I did I did get the opportunity a few times to to get in the ring, you know, but there was, uh, there was really nobody to get in the ring with. So it was more just, you know, Taking some bumps, um, you know, trying to run some little drills by myself. But even, even that, you know, it's it's not the same as you know wrestling in a in, in a real wrestling match where the intensity's picked up. Uh, you're you're hitting someone hard; they're hitting you back hard. So it, it was good to be able to do that. But it just, uh, like I said, you know, with the training before, it's just not the same as as doing a, as doing a match. And and I think another thing to mention too is, you know, these these tapings there there was no live audience and yep. you know for years and years uh you know wrestlers are used to feeding off the the audience's energy and reaction so to not have that on top of not wrestling for six months uh made it a little bit more nerve-wracking
1: yeah that was going to be my next question because obviously so much of pro wrestling is playing off the crowd and also getting the crowd to react so that must have really been an adjustment to obviously you don't have those reactions and you're not playing to the crowd. How weird yeah, was have,
0: that? Uh, you know, it's it was weird not having the crowd there. With, with not having a, a crowd, it definitely makes you, um, it, it makes things weird. It makes things like almost take you back to years past when you were, you're doing training matches. You know, I think you kind of said it, you know, we feed off, we feed off the crowd, we feed off their energy, we feed off their reactions. And, you know, a lot of times when before your matches you you have ideas of things that you want to do out there and you have ideas of how the crowd's going to react so to not have that crowd and not have that element to it was definitely something that really uh made it uh, uh, another step to make it a little bit more nerve-wracking
1: sure sure well this was the pure tournament so i want to ask you a little bit about that style of wrestling. Because of the last real man persona that you have, I think there may be a tendency for some people to think of you as a roughhouse type wrestler, which you are, and you're good at that style. But you're also a really good technical wrestler. I think you showed that in your program with uh, Jonathan Gresham. Do you enjoy doing the the more technical style of wrestling?
0: Yeah, you know, I definitely do. Uh, you know, I think I think a lot of people know that you know in pro wrestling. Uh, especially nowadays there's so many pro wrestlers out there you have to make a name for yourself and uh real early on in my career you know I made my I made a name for myself off of being a a really good wrestler a guy who could go out there and have uh you know the best match with uh no matter who you put put me out there in the ring with and you know it wasn't until I I came to Ring of Honor that I really adopted the last real man uh um, character it was something I had been toying with bit as uh you know as it was something that I wanted to switch stuff up at that point I'd been wrestling for about 10 or 11 years and I had the opportunity to do the top prospect tournament and I realized God, coming into Ring of Honor that I needed to do something to stand out a little bit something to be different because everybody that's on that roster now and everybody that was on that roster at that time are all really good wrestlers that can go out there and have the best match of the night on any given night if given the opportunity to uh you know it was something that was you know, is kind of a, a little uh, a testament to men of the past and kind of how uh, men are different nowadays, how, you know, uh, our fathers or our father's fathers uh, would maybe shake their head at how some men are nowadays. So it was something that I, I wanted to do to be different. But, you know, now it's been about six, seven years that I've been with Ring of Honor and, and a lot of what they've seen is just, you know, the last real man, a guy who's, uh you know, an ass kicker and, uh, you know, we'll take shortcuts and do what he has to do to win. And I wanted to, um, you know, even last year when I was doing, uh, you know, a small program with John Gresham, the idea behind that was to to show the people, uh, the fans who maybe not seen stuff early in my career, what I'm capable of. So, you know, when the opportunity came, uh, you know, uh, with this pure title tournament, it was something I wanted to definitely step up and uh, let people know that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm capable just because you haven't seen it before. doesn't mean I'm not capable.
1: Right. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about the whole experience of, of being in the bubble, right. And, um, and all the testing and protocols that you had to go through. I want to stress, this was voluntary. Um, Nobody had to do this if they didn't want to. Did you ever think of opting out and maybe not doing it?
0: No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, I, I love pro wrestling. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's my whole life. Um, I think when guys get into pro wrestling, you really, you have to make it your whole life if it's something you want to do for a living. It comes down to stuff, stuff as simple as w- what you put in your body every day for food, uh, you know, uh, training. It's, it's a very uh, all-encompassing, all-encompassing uh, aspect of your life it becomes about pro wrestling so it was something that i was i was excited to be back it was something you know that i wanted to i wanted to do for months and months so i was i was more than excited to get back so the option of like opting out never even crossed my mind
1: so what was it like though actually having to be you know to go through the testing which was pretty strict right i think you had to take 3 tests if i'm not mistaken a few weeks before yeah, I... then, and then a few days and then and then the day of and then being in the bubble for a week—I mean, what what was it like?
0: Yeah, you know, we took the tests um, you know, about. I think it was about a week and a half uh, before we had to come out to Baltimore, and we had to come out to Baltimore about a week before the actual tapings were going to happen. Uh, when we get when we got when we got to Baltimore, uh, we all—I I think a, a bunch of people. I think everybody had pretty much come in maybe that Monday night, and. Uh, right away Tuesday morning everybody had to get tested and you know I'll be honest with you um, I'm kind of more of the thought of I'm not super worried about COVID as I'm a kind of a healthy person and uh, I wasn't real worried about getting sick I don't really ever get sick anyways uh, so I, I wasn't really nervous about it but then when we had to take that that first one and we had to take that second one it was definitely it was definitely on my mind you know it makes you nervous you know partially because you don't want to get this crazy, uh, virus. And on on the same token, like you're excited to get back to what you want to do, what you love to do, what's your drive and your passion in your life. And you don't want to have, uh, you don't want to have that test come back positive. So that was, that was, you know, a little nerve wracking in itself. Uh, and then, you know, we had to sit in this, this hotel for what, five days, uh, in your room couldn't go out and, couldn't go out and get drinks, couldn't go out and get food, you had to order food, they had to bring it uh, from the desk up to your room and deliver it to you, it was very just, uh, you know, being locked up to yourself with your thoughts and your thoughts in a TV and maybe a video game system if you brought it with you, um, so it was definitely a, a, a whole new experience, everything from, you know, the not wrestling in front of fans to the multiple COVID tests to the, the sitting in your room to not wrestling for six months, it was all a a very big, huge, uh, opening experience. Um, but I will say this, I mean, it's, it says a lot about ring of honor office and how they care about their talent. They didn't demand that people do it. If people weren't comfortable, they didn't have to do it. Uh, you know, if, if you did, they were appreciative of it. And they were also going to take every single precaution to make sure that everybody can go home safe afterwards.
1: Well, and that's a great point is, um, You know, we brought it up on the show before, but uh, other people in this industry have lost their jobs because of this pandemic. Uh, People in all walks of life have had their jobs. We've seen small businesses close up, but it's worth saying again that no one in ring of honor, whether it's talent office employees or crew have missed a paycheck, even though we haven't run a show for six months, which is pretty amazing when you think about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely is. But like you said, everywhere people are losing their jobs, especially in the wrestling business. And I mean, I don't want to give like a spoiler away or anything, but I think, I think ring of honor might have even hired uh, a couple new people, whether it be talent or office uh, during, during this whole thing. So they, they took a completely different approach that the rest of the wrestling business did and what corporate America did. So it's definitely a you know big thumbs up to ring of honor. And it's, it's things like that, that, uh, you know, makes guys want to stay here, makes guys want to work here. It's, it's, it's a lot to be appreciated by your employer.
1: hundred percent agree. Uh, we, we talked about like some small businesses and things like that. You own a, a small independent wrestling promotion in Milwaukee, MKE Wrestling. Uh, what's, what's the status of your promotion at this point? Obviously you haven't been able to run a show in a long time. You hope to start. Yeah, running I, haven't,
0: them? I haven't ran a show since uh, the, the end of last year, you know, I had some, uh, some, some issues with the building that I was running at And then I was in the process of looking for uh, a new place and then this all happened. So it's, you know, it's something that it sucks. You know, I get messages from fans at least, you know, once or twice a week for for the last six months saying, Hey, when's the next MKE show? When can we, when can we expect to see you? You know, it's something that even though I wasn't wrestling on the shows, it's something that I enjoyed giving back to wrestling and giving back to the local area and giving back to the fans so I definitely miss that aspect of it.
1: Well, before I move on to another subject, and since we talked about MKE, you know I have to bring this up, that you uh, you got a lot of publicity uh, for your show last year when a masked man, right, who everyone believes to be CM Punk, did a run-in at one of your shows, which, man, what a coup for MKE because, you know, WWE, AEW, everybody wants to get CM Punk on their show. Uh, what can you tell us about that whole situation?
0: So the the building that I was running at at that time, it was called the Knights of Columbus. It's in West Dallas, Wisconsin. And they've had wrestling at it since, I want to say like maybe the, the early to mid-1990s. For the better part of all over the last, I guess, 27 years, they've had wrestling. They've had little breaks where they haven't. But for the better part of that time, they've had pro wrestling shows there. And it was in that building that CM Punk had his very first match. So I had the opportunity to run the very last event at that building before it was getting torn down. The building had gotten bought by like a preservatives company or something like that, that was going to tear it down and build a, like expand their factory or something like that, that was uh, right behind them. Um, So I I had the opportunity to run there and what I was trying to do is I was trying to use a lot of the guys that I had used um, on my shows previously, but I also wanted to give like a little nod to all the wrestling history that had happened over the years. So I had reached out to a lot of guys who had worked there when uh, other independent promotions ran out of there. And I actually happened to book uh, Ace Steele, who for people that don't know is uh, the guy who trained CM Punk. So I had had Ace booked uh, for the show and uh, I, had, I learned shortly before the show that there was going to be uh, a run-in and that it was going to be punk. And I, I, was, I, I didn't really think much of it because I kind of thought it was a joke at first. <laughs> uh, and then later on learning that punk was actually in town, like literally maybe a three-minute drive from the building. He had done like a jujitsu tournament or something that day. So I think I think that was the whole whole way it worked out was that it was, you know, it was a building he had his first match in. Uh, the, the match that he did something in was a Steel's match, which is the guy who trained him. And uh, he happened to be in town that day anyways, uh, right up the street for a jiu-jitsu tournament. And uh, someone else had pointed out after the fact that apparently – he had made some comments in past interviews that if he was ever to show up on a show again, it would be in a mask and it would be wrestling with his friends. So yeah, he
1: did did say that. Yep.
0: All those things seem to add up, but I I will say this. I never, I never saw a punk in the back. Uh, he was apparently waiting in the car, ran in, did the thing and ran back out.
1: Wow. So you didn't actually reach out to, to Punk to be on the show. It's just something that surprised even you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely something that surprised me. You know, I think it was uh, I think it was just him kind of, I don't know if, if, if I can say it was him getting closure, but, you know, maybe just wanting to do something with his friends in the ring that he hasn't done in a long time and, and kind of recognizing that that was the building that he started his career in and that he realized it was being torn down and he wanted to be part of the last show, which – I thought it was pretty cool of them.
1: Yeah, very cool. And I watched the clip of that. Obviously, the clip is on uh, YouTube if anybody wants to see it. The, the crowd kind of knew. Like, some people in the crowd started a, a CM Punk chant. So, like, they right. picked up
0: on it. Yeah, the funny thing is, you know, afterwards, a bunch of people uh, talked about it. And they were like, that's not Punk. That's not Punk. And apparently, uh, the, the hoodie sweatshirt that he was wearing was uh, the same hoodie sweatshirt that he had posted a picture online of from the jujitsu tournament that he had done earlier in the day, so I mean, I think it's, I think all signs lead that was that it was him. But like I said, I can't, I can't one thousand percent say it was because I didn't see him. You know.
1: Yeah, but the circumstantial evidence is strong, so I'm gonna believe. I'm with you. I'm ninety nine percent sure that was CM Punk as well. But yeah, we can't be hundred percent because you know you didn't see his face. But I think it's a pretty safe bet. All right, well, we've got so much more to talk about. Uh, We're gonna take our first break and then back with more with Silas Young right after this.
2: Tonight, we'll be discussing another very important topic, wrestling in
0: the COVID-19 era. A phone rang and it was someone from uh, Ring of Honor office and I said, look, this is bigger than wrestling. This is a pandemic. Nobody knew exactly what coronavirus was.
1: Ring of Honor was one of the only companies to completely shut down and say no. If there's a virus out there that you can catch just by being within six feet of somebody imagine wrestling somebody you're going to be a lot closer than six feet
0: i have huge huge fears i'm scared s-less to be perfectly frank
2: roh roundtable now
1: available on youtube.com ring of honor all right we are back on the roh strong podcast my guest is the last real man silas young Silas, you alluded uh, earlier to the last real man uh, persona, and how you developed it and then such. You've based it on your father, I've heard you say. Is that is that
0: correct? Absolutely, my father. Uh, my father had a a pretty sweet mustache. He had the the slick back hair. Uh, you know, he was a, he was a fireman. He was the assistant chief of the the fire department in the town I grew up in, in Appleton, Wisconsin. He had a painting business. I got five older brothers. Uh, you know, they're a bunch of roughnecks, and uh, you know, by the time I came around, he was kind of a no-nonsense type of guy. So, uh, you know, I definitely, you know, had a little bit of a rough upbringing. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't beaten or abused by any means, but you know, he was also a take-no-crap type of father. So it was something that, you know, I always, uh, I thought it was a, a cool little nod to my own father, and also just, you know, at, at that time, you know, you were starting to hear. Uh, You know men doing things like waxing their eyebrows and wearing skinny jeans and terms like metrosexual and it just got me to thinking you know I need to do something different with this character uh, or something different to have a character and it just got me thinking like uh, the men of today are not like the men of yesteryear and it was just kind of something that kind of slowly developed maybe over the course of a year.
1: I don't know if your dad's still still with us. Did he ever get a chance to see you as the last real man?
0: Yeah, I mean, my my father's still alive, and uh, he's damn near almost eighty years old. He just had a shoulder replacement surgery, and uh, you know, he's he's still uh, you know out there painting houses with my brother. And my brother tells me sometimes how he has to tell him, "Get the hell off that ladder." Seventy <laughs> some years old, you don't need to be climbing a ladder. So you know, that's it's. Uh, my father's the last real man. I'm just paying uh, paying homage to him.
1: What does he think of it? If he has he seen you do it, the, the the persona?
0: Yeah, you know the funny thing is, uh, years back when I told him I was going to get into wrestling, he said, "What the hell do you want to do that fake crap for?" <laughs> you know, now it's uh, it's something that I've I've dedicated my life to, and it's something he's definitely he's definitely seen the uh, you know the TV show. He's seen it live. And uh, something you know, I think he's really proud of. My brother told me that uh, every everywhere he goes, he tries working into the conversation about how I'm a pro wrestler and you can watch me on TV. So I think it's something he's definitely proud of. Uh,
1: that's that's very cool. Well, Absolutely. you mentioned you alluded to a rough upbringing, and um, I want to touch on this just briefly. And as I know, you've talked about it publicly before. Uh, but for those who may not know your story, when you were a young man, you actually battled a a heroin addiction, and Pro wrestling really saved your life, from what I understand. Can you just talk briefly about that period in your life and and the role that pro wrestling played in kind of turning things around?
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I had um, I grew up in an area that was pretty uh, rich, white, middle class. I've joked around before that if you're poor, you had the basic cable package. Uh, You know, it was just a bunch of kids with with money and nothing to do. And uh, drugs had coming around a lot at that time, and I would ended up, you know, kind of hanging out with the wrong crowd a little bit and got kind of got sucked into it, uh, and it happened quicker than I thought. And I actually had a friend who right out of high school had trained to be a pro wrestler, and uh, he had approached me and said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be having my first match. You know, would you like to buy a ticket? You know, my buddy Tom's always, always a good friend Had always been a big fan of pro wrestling. And I said, yeah, definitely, man. I'll come there and support you. And it was actually at that show where I decided that I was going to become a pro wrestler. And then over the course of the next few months, I had completely cleaned up my life, stopped stopped the drugs completely, and uh, started working out, started putting on weight. And then that, that spring, I started training to be a pro wrestler. So yeah, pro wrestling definitely definitely saved my life.
1: Wow, that's, I mean, it's interesting that to think, I guess, well, not interesting, maybe scary to think that had wrestling not come along at that time, how things may have turned out differently. But, you know,
0: yeah, thank definitely. God that,
1: that you did have something that you could get passionate about and, uh, and really turn things around and give you a lot of credit for that. And I think it can be, you know, sort of an inspiring story to people that, you know, they could be in a bad situation. They could be in what seems like a hopeless situation, but it doesn't have to end badly. And I think you're... Right. You know, you're I, think, a I mean, player. I
0: think that's the key... For, uh, you know, maybe anybody who's dealing with problems, whether it's addiction or, or whatever it may be in your life that, you know, seems like there's no way, oh, you have to find something that you're, you're passionate about, something that you love, something that's worth living for. You know, that's what pro wrestling was for me It was, it was something worth living for uh, It's a real tight knit group of people From even just the Not just the wrestlers but you know, The wrestlers, the referees The, the office people The, the, guy, the guys who set up and tear down You know, all uh, a big crew Of, of friends and family uh, So it's, it's an awesome thing To be a part of We get to travel the world We get to make a living doing what we love to do I couldn't be happier
1: yeah, I think you, um, you encapsulated everything right there with, with Ring of Honor and, and sort of the atmosphere. And I really want people to know that, you know, you hear a lot of times, whether it's a, a sports team or, you know, people that work on a TV show together or whatever it is, they always say, oh, we're like a big family. And I think people kind of like roll their eyes a little bit or, you know, it's a cliche. But I've been working with Ring of Honor for about five years now, and I can absolutely say that the way you described it is 100% true. And, and I've been in other companies, I've been in other, you know, locker rooms, and I haven't really seen um, what I've seen in Ring of Honor, which really is everybody uh, really being a team player, I haven't seen any egos out of control, I haven't seen any politics or backstabbing, which is really amazing when you consider the great talent that Ring of Honor has in the locker room. And, and it is, it seems, it's like all, all people who are pulling for each other and, and just want to be part of the team and make the company great, which is, you know, it's a testament to Ring of Honor management too, I think, for bringing in those kinds of people.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, talking about the Ring of Honor management, you know, all those guys are, are super approachable. You know, a guy like Greg, who is, I believe his title is, he's the GM, correct? I mean, Greg's a super, yeah. super approachable guy. Uh, you know, he's a guy that you can, you can talk to about stuff. You come to him even if you're a little, you know, mad or upset about something and, and, and express your opinion without worried, worrying about there being repercussions. Uh, you know, he's also a guy that, you know, he's, you know, he'll, he can, you can have dinner with him. You can have some drinks and just talk like a normal human being. So it's, it's definitely very uh, refreshing to be able to, to work in environments like that.
1: No question about it. But I want to talk a little bit about your um, early Ring of Honor days. You had, uh, you had been on the independents for a few years, and then it was 2007 you made your ROH debut. And uh, some of your early matches were against guys like Nigel McGuinness and, uh, and Davey Richards. What are your memories of, of that time?
0: Oh, man, that, that was a great time. You know, I'd been about five years into my career at that point, uh, you know, it was, it was a great opportunity. You know, Ring of Honor was super hot at that time. Uh, you know, and I, I had worked with some of those guys on some independents uh, before that, so I, so I didn't feel super-duper nervous. I mean, granted, grat- there was the nerves that you're going to have just from, this is a big deal, this is a big company, this place is important.
1: Right around that same time, I know that you got an opportunity uh, with WWE as far you got signed to a developmental deal and uh, spent some time in Ohio Valley wrestling. How did that opportunity arise?
0: Okay, so that was a a little bit of a weird situation. I had done uh, like a Sunday night heat taping in Milwaukee. And at that time I got the opportunity to work with Val Venus and Val Venus had been with the company, you know, for quite a while at that time. And he was a really cool guy who, you know, I mean, he must've saw something in me and he really let that match kind of, you know, not be necessarily about me, but he let me get a a big chunk of that match. He let me shine, so to speak in that match. And that got me uh, a couple more opportunities to do some extra work and get some dark matches. And at the time, uh, Ken Anderson or Ken Kennedy was working there and uh, he had, he had walked by with Johnny Ace and he said to Johnny, Hey, you know, this this is my buddy Silas, you know, he's really good. You should give him an opportunity and look at him. So they had, uh, I got. We exchanged numbers and talked, and they sent me down to Ohio Valley Wrestling for a week to do. I guess it was like observation. We trained, and then they, at the time, were doing like little house shows every night, and I got the opportunity to work the house shows that week. And then and that was maybe November. I want to say '07, I think. Um, and I, I got the opportunity to do that. And then shortly before Christmas, they called me and they offered me a job. Um, you know, offered me a developmental deal, said I'd be moving to Louisville. And, uh, I mean, Kevin, I think you've worked for, uh, WWE in the past, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe you're probably familiar with this, but maybe the fans aren't, but you know, signing a contract with them, isn't just a couple pieces of paper. It's a huge stack of papers. There's a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, testing you have to do like drug testing, you know, cardiovascular testing. They want to make sure you're healthy, Uh, I also had to get a a passport at the time, too. So, you know, that all happened. I got that offer right before Christmas. Um, uh, Cardiovascular test came back good. Was just waiting for uh, maybe there was one or two other things like the passport and stuff like that. And then one day I saw uh, online that WWE ceased to have a developmental program at Ohio Valley Wrestling. And I remember reading that and thinking, well, that's not good that's where I'm supposed to be moving to soon. And the next day I got a call and said, uh, sorry, we're not going to be putting your contract through. We, uh, you know, ceased having a developmental deal with Ohio Valley wrestling. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it goes without saying, it was, uh, it was like a kick in the groin.
1: Yeah, I could imagine. I mean, it, it was right there, you know, kind of at your fingertips and then like they dangled it in front of you and then took it away, but you persevered, you went back on the Indies I know you did some work in ROH again in like 2008, 2009, and then we didn't see you in ROH again until like 2012. What, what, what were you doing in between? Why the, why the break at that point?
0: Uh, you know, I, uh, dur- during those times when I come back, I I come back and done like TV taping stuff. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think Adam Pearce was booking at the time, and, you know, he had said to me, you know, you know give me an idea you know, pitch me something, see, you know, give me something to, to use with you. And, I, and honestly, at the time, I just I hadn't really come up with anything. And I, I think I just missed a few months of doing it. Um, I started doing some stuff for, uh, for Dragon Gate USA. Uh, I started working with Evolve a little bit, uh, you know, as uh, Gabe Sapowski was the one doing the booking when I very first worked for Ring of Honor. And, you know, Gabe was, I don't know if I'd say he was a fan, but he liked what I did. And, you know, he gave me some opportunities with Evolve. And uh, it just felt like at the time, like that, the opportunities I was getting with Ring of Honor at that time. So I was trying to go with the the opportunities that seemed better. And, uh, you know, I worked with, I worked with Evolve I, and I worked with Dragon Gate. And then uh, around 2000, maybe end of 2011, 2012, uh, I was working for a place in Chicago every month, which I had been for years and years, called AAW. You know, they're really good independent promotion and uh Michael Elgin was working there at the time and I ended up working with him a lot and he had said to me you know if you talk to Ring of Honor you know you should be working there you should be working there uh, but at the time I was still doing some stuff with Evolve and I knew that there, there was really no crossover there you know uh and then I you know Gabe and I ended up having a little disagreement about things and um I saw Elgin maybe a week later and I I said hey you know I'm not working for for Evolve anymore, and then uh, I had gotten, he said, well, let me see what I can do. And it turned out that a few weeks later, maybe a month, six weeks later, Ring of Honor was gonna be back in Milwaukee. So i gotten an email and asked me if I wanted to do, those, do that show. I got the opportunity to work with Michael Elgin on that show. We had a really good, a good match. And then a few months later, I got the opportunity to do the top prospect tournament.
1: Yeah, you came back at that point to Ring of Honor and and never, and never left. Uh, why? what are some of the reasons why you've chosen to remain with Ring of Honor all this time? Because I know, you, obviously, you've had opportunities to, to go elsewhere. But what is it about ROH where you said, all right, this is where I'm going to you know, plant some roots and, and stick around?
0: Uh, you know, it's a little bit some of the things we talked about earlier. You know, we talked about uh, feeling like you can approach management. Uh, creative, creative freedom is a really, really big part of it. Uh, You know, I've I've been with the company for a lot of times and it feels like a lot of the times when there's things that I pitch that I actually get the opportunity to go out and do the things that I pitch, Um, you know, some people don't realize it, but, you know, pro wrestling is art and uh, all of us as wrestlers, we're all artists and we all have uh, these ideas of how wrestling should be done. And uh, to to get that opportunity to have the company that you work for to believe in you and believe in your art is uh, very empowering. So I wanted to stick with the place that's believed in me and I wanted to keep believing in them, you know, and on top of that, I I have a son, Uh, you know, he's, he's 11 going on 12 years old now, but, you know, spending time with him and being a father is uh, very important to me. And, uh, you know, I know. Working other places, you're you're gone a lot. I mean, the schedule you can't compete with the schedule that Ring of Honor has. You get the opportunity to, you know, stay active where you're not going to get rusty, but at the same time, you get enough time so your body can heal and you can spend time with your family. It also allows you to uh, opportunities to go to go to other countries and, and wrestle for other places. You know, it's it's nice to have the the creative freedom, the creative outlet and the, the ability to be able to let your body heal and spend time with your family.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned the Top Prospect Tournament. Uh, it was 2013. You beat Adam Page in the first round. You lost to Matt Taven in the second round. It was obviously a lot of talent in that tournament. The winner uh, of the tournament gets a, gets a contract. That was Matt Taven. But as we've seen in the past with the Top Prospect Tournament, a lot of guys end up becoming contracted performers. Dalton Castle, yourself, uh, Adam—I mean, the list is endless. Uh, how long after that did you be? Did you get your first contract with Ring of Honor?
0: So that I, I believe those tapings were real early in 2013. It was like maybe January, might even been a little bit into February as well. Yeah. Uh, and then I'd done like a couple shows for him after that, but then it was, and I and I'd signed a contract before June, but it was like June of 2013 was when basically from that, from June of 2013 till today, I'd been on probably 99% of every Ring of Honor show since then.
1: And it, you went on to have programs with Taven. You had one with Kevin Steen. Uh, what are your memories from working with those two guys?
0: Uh, you know, though, like it, it was great to be able to work with Kevin Steen. I worked, I, I believe it was the, the very first pay-per-view that we did. Uh, I had worked with Kevin Steen and uh you know kevin kevin was a good dude he was he was a guy who was you know leaving at the time but he was uh you know he was more than willing to uh, to work together uh you know matt taven uh, i actually funnily funny met him uh years back when he was still training uh you know and like we said earlier it's uh it's a real tight-knit locker room so uh you know i i, I can't think of any bad experiences i've had working with anyone on the roster
1: I want to, in in talking about, we're kind of going through the chronological uh, evolution of your career here. You hit a speed bump, right? Just when you were starting to really gain momentum, you suffered a broken leg and then you were out of action for seven months. How did that happen? How did you suffer that injury?
0: So it wasn't a broken leg. It was a a torn ACL. So it was was really kind of crazy, actually. Typically when people tear their ACL, it's because they end up hyperextending their leg, um, I actually did it, it was in Milwaukee, it was the first time I did the uh, main event of a Ring of Honor show, uh, I was working Michael Elgin, and we were, you know, it was probably about a 20-some minute match, and uh, real early in the match, we had done something where he went to hip toss me into uh, the guardrail, and when I would hit the guardrail, like, you know, the like, top of the guardrails at the times so, you know they're it's not super thin it's you know a few inches thick and, and exactly where my knee hit uh it hit exactly at the bend of my knee and the momentum of it made my knee hyper flex. so my my knee with uh with the thickness of it and the way it was it, it hyper flexed and tore my acl and i remember when it happened i it was It was extremely painful, obviously, and I remember laying on the ground thinking, oh, crap, man, I broke my leg. We're like four minutes into this match. It's the main event, and, you know, I'm I'm always of the mindset that the show must go on, so if I can, I'm going to keep going. I mean, even when I dislocated my elbow very, very early in my career, I finished that match with a dislocated elbow. Uh, so I remember laying on the ground thinking oh crap I broke my leg and I remember kind of you know grabbing my knee embracing it and then moving my leg a little bit and thinking well it's not broken but there's something wrong with it and then throughout that match there would be things where like I would go to throw a kick and my knee would completely buckle and go out go out on me Uh, you know I I still managed to tough through and finish the match but uh, you know it was something that I didn't want to admit to myself that was hurt I actually wrestled a couple more matches after that until I finally realized I need to go to a doctor and get this looked at. And it turned out that it was, you know, a completely torn ACL.
1: So aside from the obvious physical pain, how, how, was, how tough was it mentally? Again, you, as I said, you were just really, really gaining momentum at that point um, to then know you have to be on the shelf for what ended up being seven months.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was the worst, you know, there was times when I, I questioned whether I should have just you know, gotten some brace and a bunch of extra knee pads and tried just toughen through it. You know, you said it, I was, I was, my, my momentum was really picking up. So it was, it was really tough to go through that. You know, it was, uh, I think this was like early fall, which, you know, basically I had surgery October of that year and uh, I just had to sit at home basically all winter with a, with a, a beat up leg and, and, and just having it suck, you know, it was, it was hard. It was something that, uh, it, it took a little bit to come back from. Me. Even when I came back, it was like I had to remember. I had to remember how to wrestle again a little bit.
1: Right. Wow. Okay. But you did come back, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about that. Uh, sort of what you, what you did after you came back. The best was yet to come for you. We're going to take a quick break and then uh, we'll resume our discussion with Silas Young right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Monday, the same day as this podcast, as we catch up on all the groundbreaking ROH news and get some exclusive comments from some of your favorite stars. We also have some really great weekly segments like Question of the Week and my personal favorite, the Week by Week Physique. Join me every Monday at one PM on social media and YouTube.com/slash Ring of Honor for week by week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is the Last Real Man, Silas Young. We've been talking about your career in ROH. Let's fast forward to 2015. You and Dalton Castle begin a memorable feud at this point, and it, it was such a natural because you had the flamboyant peacock with the boys and, you know, the sparkly ring attire. And then you had the surly last real man with the porn mustache and everything else. (laughs) I thought it was one of the most entertaining things going on in pro wrestling at that time. What was it like from, from your perspective, doing that program and uh, working with Dalton?
0: Uh, You know, it was great. It's funny you say that though, because even to this day, uh, fans constantly, uh, you know, we'll say stuff, whether it's like on a, on Twitter or Facebook page or, or in person, they always say, man, I, I love the, I love the program you had with Dalton Castle. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was a natural, it was a natural fit. You had very polar opposite, uh, characters and it, it was really, it was really fun. And it, you know what, it was one of those things too, that after it got going, you know, it was trusted to us where we got. Uh, we got a lot of freedom with it to kind of d- do things the way that we thought uh, it should be done, you know, and that, that goes back to the whole like being trusted uh, that, you know, what you know, what you're doing. Um, I will say this uh, at first, I hated working with Dalton Castle. I hated it. Like he, he he's a professional. He's very good at what he does. Uh, <laughs> but he was just, he, he, he was a little bit of a pain in the, to work with at the beginning and, I, and i've told him this before and we've laughed about it you know as, as that was years ago but uh you know it's it's probably one of the most memorable things uh i've ever done in pro wrestling you know is uh for one thing it was uh, a storyline that lasted i think over a year and during that course we'd only really wrestled a few singles matches but you know with with the boys being involved. Uh, you know, it was something that really made the story be able to go a couple different ways. We did the thing where, you know, I won the boys and I was going to teach them to be men. Uh, you know, it was, it was a really fun, it was, it was a fun storyline and it was fun. It was a fun thing to learn to do something a little bit differently. You know, when you're on the indies, you typically are just having really good matches with guys who are really good, but to be able to do something that was really story driven, uh, was really fun and really kind of lit something in me to really, want to be able to do more of that in wrestling so i think that's really what wrestling is all about is telling good stories
1: well i can't let this pass without asking a follow-up question especially because we always everyone loves to give dalton crap dalton castle some crap every now and then what did he do to be a pain in the
0: uh he was just so indecisive about everything you know it was uh <laughs> it, it would take forever to put stuff together uh he you know he would maybe second guess himself a, a lot so uh it, it was just little things like that but you know he was he was great to work with but yeah he was definitely a pain in the <laughs> in the beginning i think it, i think i think the longer it went on the more comfortable we got with each other and the easier it was to to figure out what we wanted to do
1: now, i might have to get a uh, give equal time to dalton castle at some point and ask him if you were a
0: pain in the ass at all he'll tell you i was a pleasure to work with
1: oh okay of course (laughs) uh let me ask you about another guy that you worked with which was a couple years after that you got to work a program with i guess the guy that everybody in ring of honor would love to work a program with because he's the franchise of ring of honor jay lethal uh jay put you over in a street fight and then he put you over again in the blow-off match which was a last man standing match did you feel like after that program with Jay and especially, you know, prevailing at the end that like that officially made you kind of a, a made man in ring of honor?
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, that's cool. That you say it like that. Cause that, that is a good way to put it. You know, Jay is Jay is the man in, in ring of honor and he's probably my favorite guy to work with. He's, he's like the, the pure example of a professional, you know, inside and outside of the ring and he, he's not selfish. He's a guy who's in a position where he could be selfish if he wanted to be. And he's not. He's a guy who's about, you know, uh, trying to help build the company and build guys. So, you know, for him to do that, like you said, uh, put me over in a, in, a, in a street fight. And then the last man standing match was definitely something that, you know, helped push my, uh, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, push my card, so to speak, to the top, you know, yeah. uh, to, to show that, you know, uh, not not only can I, uh, not only can I wrestle, not only can I kick some, but, uh, you know, I can beat top guys.
1: Absolutely. Well, Jay, as you said, uh, Jay gets it. He's he's the top guy in the company. And in that position, he really doesn't have to put over anybody, you know, if he doesn't really want to. But not only does he do it, uh, it's not like he does it grudgingly either. And Jay's been on this show and talked about it. He's at, He actually told me there have been times he's pushed for losing and and he had to be overruled you know by the bookers you can't lose every match
0: jay but yeah he, i mean there, he, yeah he had said there had been a point during that time that he said he's like i think i should just lose every match to you and i said well i don't think you can lose every match man you gotta you gotta you gotta win you gotta win some of them you know so right. there, that that's definitely 100 percent true
1: yeah he he gets it that if if at the end of that program he goes over He's not going to gain anything from it, really. He's still in the same spot, but it could—it's not going to help you. Whereas, if you go over, it helps you. And Jay is still in the same spot as the top guy. It doesn't hurt him at all. And and I, I always I've applauded Jay for that. He gets it. He understands like uh, it's about the company and doing the right thing. And you know, I think you're right. Like he's a he's a perfect example of the guy you want for many reasons as as the franchise because he always. You know, not to use a cliche, but does what's best for business.
0: He absolutely does.
1: You went on after that to talk about being a made man, right? You end up going on winning winning the Ring of Honor World Television Championship on two occasions, which at that point, the only two guys that had done that were Jay Lethal and uh, Roderick Strong. So, I mean, if that's not a validation of, of the fact that you have become a major player at that point, I, you know, I don't know what is. What were your thoughts on uh finally becoming a champion in ROH and and winning a title that had a pretty darn good uh legacy?
0: Yeah man, it was awesome. I mean, I'll say this, uh, you know, doing independent wrestling for so long, you know, it was always, you know, it was always kind of cool to be a champion, but, you know, it was it was it was for an independent promotion, so it was kind of like it was something I always looked at a little bit as a prop, but, you know, when you work for a world-recognized company, like Ring of Honor, it shows that the company has a lot of faith in you, that the fans have faith in you, and that you know that you know you know what you're doing. Uh, so to be able to win it once was was cool enough. You know, I, I believe the first time I won it was at uh, Final Battle, but then to be able to win it a second time at at, at SuperCard, and uh, I believe it was in New Orleans, and it was uh, maybe a sold out crowd. It was six 000, seven thousand people. Uh, I got to have, I believe that was a last man standing match as well. I had a last man standing match with uh, Kenny King, who's one of my really good friends in, in wrestling. So to be able to have that opportunity with a friend in, in front of a huge crowd and to be able to do something that, you know, uh, the only two guys that do it before were, you know, arguably at uh, any given time, the franchise guy uh, for, for Ring of Honor. So it, 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 it built a lot of confidence in me.
1: Absolutely, and you mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned the program with Kenny King because, yeah, you guys traded the TV title back and forth. He also got to hold it uh, on on two occasions, and it was really one of those things, I think, that elevated both of you. Not that you guys were, you know, new or anything by any stretch, and you both had a lot of success. Kenny had a lot of success as a tag team guy, but to be competing for that singles championship um, and having great matches, yeah, the last man standing match was great uh yeah i mean that was just it was one of those things where like again both guys benefited from it it helped you it helped uh kenny kenny's another guy i think that's it's, it's weird to say this about a guy who's that this talented but is really kind of underrated i think kenny is taken for granted sometimes he's great in the ring he's great promo he's got the charisma um but sometimes you just need that opportunity to really show it and i think that program with you is one of those opportunities that he got and i think you know both you guys knocked it out of the park
0: yeah absolutely you know it's uh it's it's sometimes it's hard to stick out in a company full of super talented individuals so sometimes you need something like a a singles title to kind of bring it to the forefront that hey this guy's excellent at what he does and that you know the the the, the, the title reigns with the, the television title definitely help that help that for me
1: well, eventually uh, we're going to get to the ten questions segment here, but before we get to that, I have to ask you about your partnership with Josh Woods, Two Guys One Tag. Uh, first of all, who came up with that name? Because that's the probably the best tag team name in the business. Was that you or Josh, or
0: who did that? So that I mean, I think that I, I'll give Josh the credit for that. I mean, it was something that we had we had talked about for for a while. You know, we were trying to think of a a tag name and it almost started out a little bit as a joke. And I, and I think we both said, actually, it's kind of a cool idea. You know, we're two very, very different uh, people, different characters uh, and it just seemed like it, it should fit. So it was a little bit of a collaboration, but I'll give most of the credit to Josh on that.
1: Okay. Well, I don't know. I'm going to have to ask Josh how he knew about, you know, wor- <laughs> the origin of the two you know, slash one. I, <laughs> I mean, that,
0: that, that, that was definitely, uh, uh, was part of the joke, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And I'll just say this, anybody listening, if you know, you know, and if you don't, don't worry about it. It's exactly. not, nothing we need to get into on a, on a family show, but in all <laughs> seriousness, though, uh, tagging with Josh, was that, was that your idea?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, in pro wrestling, you always got to be thinking about what you're going to do next. Uh, shortly before that, you know, John Gresham and I were doing the, the 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 pure wrestling thing. It hadn't been around in a while. You know, when you you look at pure wrestling, you definitely think about a, a guy like like John Gresham. And I, I realized at the time that they, you know nothing was really going on with John, and I didn't really have anything going on. So we started. We did that. Uh, we did that angle, and as that that was starting to wind down, I started to realize, well, I got to come up with, got to come up with something to pitch next, so you know you don't get you don't get lost. You know, I knew I would still be booked on the shows, but I like I like the storytelling aspect of pro wrestling, and uh, you know, Josh was a guy at the time who had been with the company for a while, maybe a year or two. I'm not real sure, but he had been with the company for a while. But you know, Josh was a guy who didn't really have a a big name in pro wrestling. He had, he had worked for NXT, uh, you know, before that, um, he, he had, he had been training for a while, but he was a guy that, you know, I mean, you look at him, he, he, he's a stud. He looks like a superstar, you know? And I knew he was a guy that they, they really liked and wanted to do something with. And, you know, he was just a guy that was kind of, he was being used, um, but, you know, they didn't maybe really know what to do with him. Josh wasn't super experienced in pro wrestling. And, you know, I looked at him and I thought, you know, here's this guy, Josh, who's got this legitimate uh, wrestling and MMA background. He's a, I think he's a two-time national uh, collegiate wrestling champion. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a badass. And at the time, I remember thinking, like, you know, maybe I can try uh, doing something with him. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to develop into a tag. Or or a, or a feud, so to speak, but uh, I, I knew there was something there with him. I knew that uh, you know the the office liked them, so I just approached, uh, you know, the the people who put things together, and I'd said, hey, you know, I, I'd like to do something with Josh. You know, he's this badass. And my idea behind it was, every time in pro wrestling, when a guy is like a legit wrestler, badass type guy, it's always that same cliche. Uh, angle or approach to it that they take but knowing josh you know at that time for about a year or two and seeing him in the locker room constantly he's a funny goofy guy you know so i thought why don't we let josh be who josh is and show that funny goofy side uh you know in our promos and maybe even a little bit in the ring but then when we get in the ring let his let his wrestling speak for itself
1: and that that that's a great point because and i give you credit for seeing that in josh because i was you know i was part of that camp who i guess you go for the easy thing which is or the most natural thing which is he's this mma badass legit college amateur wrestler and all that so it's like well you've got to you've got to market him that way and you've got to promote him as the legit badass and it was it really was kind of a square peg in a round hole because even though he is those things off camera josh does not like he he's not Brock Lesnar. You know, he's not intense like that. Like you said, he's got a funny sense of humor and he's kind of a goofy sense of humor and it would be like, okay, you, you I remember I had to produce uh, a promo with him where he was, I think doing an interview with Quinn McKay. And uh, it's like, you know, Josh is his normal goofy self backstage. And I'm trying to tell him like, you know, when the red light goes on though, like I want to see intensity and you're a badass. and man a few words and And he, he tried to do it, but ultimately it's like, that's not who he is. And it, it came across as disingenuous. So I give you credit for being the one person who was like, why don't we just let Josh be himself? And it works. It works because he plays off of you and your persona. And it works because yeah, he's showing some personality. So he's connecting with the audience. But once the bell rings, he's still that legit badass and he can be so. Exactly. Kudos to you for that. All right, well, we're going to take our final break, and then when we come back, we're going to do a special edition of 10 Questions. Silas, I got a surprise for you right after this break.
0: (laughs) I'm excited.
1: Okay.
2: Think you know a lot about Ring of Honor? Well, put your knowledge to the test against the top fans and stars of Ring of Honor. That's right. Ring of Honor Trivia returns, and it will be played across Zoom to join... Get your team of 3 to 10 and email rohtrivia at gmail.com. Previous editions have seen near-perfect scores and former world champions, former tag team champions, and the top stars of Ring of Honor compete for Trivia Supremacy. You won't want to miss it. Sign up now, rohtrivia at gmail.com to reserve your spot and your team's spot in this round of Ring of Honor Trivia.
1: All right. We are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. I alluded right before the break that uh, we have a big surprise for Silas. Silas, you were not smartened up about this. I hope you don't get angry with me for that. But uh, instead of me asking you the 10 questions, which is what I always do on this show, uh, in the fir- for the first time in the history of the ROH Strong Podcast, we will have a special guest who came up with the 10 questions on his own And he will ask them directly to you. Here he is now, Josh Woods. Oh, my God. (laughs) Dude,
2: how excited are you right now? Why do you always do this to me? Anytime I have
0: something, they try and do an episode of TV on me, and you have to stick your nose into it. I mean, you're my tag partner, and I I love working with you, but you you really try sticking your nose where it doesn't belong.
2: Wait, you, you love working with me, huh?
0: Just just ask the questions, all right? It's now time for 10 questions with Josh Woods.
2: Okay, listen. I took a lot of time to figure these questions out, okay? I put a lot of heart and soul into them. So you better take this serious just like you take our, our love and friendship, all right? That's how serious you have to take this. It's
0: a business friendship.
2: Why do you have to lie to yourself, dude? Like... You shouldn't Just lie to yourself.
0: Just ask the questions.
2: All right. God, you're so pushy and so needy. All right. Question number one. When did you realize you made it in professional and professional wrestling? When did I realize
0: I made it? I, I honestly I think I probably realized I made it or, or, or had a good shot of making it was when I started when I signed my first contract with Ring of Honor and I started working for them uh, on a regular basis.
2: So, it, it wasn't when we met.
0: No, it definitely was not when we met.
2: I'm going to write that down that you're lying. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sounds like a lie. Just All right. Since you like to lie, question number two If you could have the same success in a different profession as you've had in professional wrestling, what would it be? I don't know.
0: That's a good question. You know, I've, I haven't really thought a lot about it what I would do besides pro wrestling. I guess uh, if I I could have success in any other profession, it would be a professional lottery winner.
2: You're unbelievable, dude. That's unrealistic.
0: It's not unrealistic. People win the lottery, dude. But not professionally. That's not someone's job. Yeah, but I mean, look at me. If I did it, I would be a professional doing it, Josh. Would you give me some of your winnings? No, I would not give you some of my winnings. I would hire you and let you, like, you know clean my house and stuff like that but but
2: then you would pay me a lot more than what i'm worth right like a couple million to do that no
0: no and as a matter of fact you'd have to do it when i was gone
2: (laughs) i don't i wouldn't i wouldn't like that job i wouldn't like that
0: at all i would pay you just enough to make you want to do it (laughs) well
2: that's fair i'll take that all right number three do you have a celebrity crush
0: (laughs) dude do i have a celebrity crush well, you know what? I don't know. I think it's, I think it's probably uh, changed over the years. But I can't think of any current celebrity crush. But uh, you know, one from my childhood probably would have been, uh,
2: you know, Kelly Kapowski. Oh, a little boy meets world, huh? No, no, that's saved by what? Hey, what? say by the boy bell.
0: Say by the bell. All right, you know okay, what? I'll say give by
2: you the, the bell.
0: Say by the bell. But I'll give you Topanga too. Topanga was definitely, uh, uh, yeah, Topanga. Yeah, dude she's a big
2: wrestling fan dude do you think she, do you think she's ever watched our matches
0: I would hope so I mean she's probably watched my matches probably not our matches
2: well why wouldn't she watch our matches um, I don't know I mean my singles
0: matches are pretty awesome dude
2: yeah but but together we're super
0: awesome better well, than regular well, 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 What are we gonna both date her at the same time or what
2: that's your crush not mine dude <laughs> we're not talking about
0: me <laughs>
2: <laughs> alright
1: Hold on a second! I got to jump in. That would give two guys one tag a whole other meaning.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes, it would. Edit that. Uh, All right. What's your (laughs) what's your favorite thing about our tag team love? I mean, our partnership, our tag partnership.
0: That I only have to do half the work and I make you do most of it. (laughs) That's
2: no. It's me, dude. I'm your favorite thing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you are not my favorite thing. Yeah, you're my favorite thing because you're doing half the work.
2: I'll take that. That's better than not being the favorite thing. There, there you go. You got you to seek the if, positive.
0: St- take what you can get, Josh. Stick with the positives.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. All right, number five. What would you tell your students who are doing shows on the indies, like as far as advice or some like guidelines, unwritten rules maybe?
0: Uh, I would try and tell them to be different than what everybody else is doing. I think in uh, indie wrestling that guys a lot get caught up in what the trends are that are happening and uh, they try and follow the trends. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about when I started The Last Real Man Character, I wanted to do something different than what everybody else was doing. So I think try and do something different than what everybody else is doing because if you're doing what the trend is, you're doing what everybody else is doing on the show and then you're not really sticking out at all. You're just kind of falling into the status quo
2: yeah that makes sense dude it's pretty smart
0: of course it does of course it's smart of course it does make sense that's why i'm I'm your josh that's why i'm your mentor
2: i mean you could just take the compliment you gotta be so like pushy about it jeez
0: well you know what sometimes i have to with you because you just you always got to push things more than it needs to be pushed you gotta you gotta come and interrupt my interviews you gotta interrupt my tv episodes it's gets a little annoying sometimes
2: if anything, I'm enhancing them. You're welcome.
0: Ugh.
1: Ugh. So Josh, what you're saying is you are an enhancement talent.
0: Yes, he is. I'll give him that. He is an enhancement talent. Wait, is that a good thing? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, man, you're enhancing things. Okay. Look it yeah. Up. yeah. Yeah. Let's look it up after we're done. Yeah. Look up what enhancement talent means.
2: It means I'm awesome. Cool. Hell yeah. All right. All right. Number six. Do you believe in aliens?
0: <laughs> do I believe in aliens well you know what I'll say this I never say no to really anything so you can't I can't say that they don't exist but I can't say they definitely do exist I, I have an open mind to it okay alright be... wait Josh do you believe what? in aliens
2: I mean not in like traditional like Sigourney Weaver aliens franchise style but I, I don't think we're alone thats that's the same thing
0: that's a very good way to put it.
2: You know, I'm, all right. I'm glad you didn't make fun of me again. Once in sure. a while.
0: Once I in a while you
2: say something smart. I have my moments, dude. I'm more than just a pretty face, dude. You know this.
0: Well, I didn't say anything about your face.
2: Well, if you could see it right now, you'd, you'd say it's nice and handsome. Um, <laughs> number seven. How come you don't like hugs?
0: I mean, I do like hugs. I just don't like hugging you. Well, you've never tried it. So how do you know? I I don't know. I just, I mean, I really like when girls hug me. So. I just, I just picture me hugging you as you getting very handsy. No, dude. I I don't like the idea of you being handsy with me.
2: No, dude. Just, I just want to embrace you, bro. Like a brother, big hugs, dude. Just chest to chest. Just, you know, just like two best friends would do. Well, you know what?
0: Someday, Josh, someday in the future, maybe you'll get that hug. So you're saying there's hope? Yep. I mean, maybe, but maybe Ooh. not. Whoa, whoa,
2: whoa, whoa. Oh, man. I'll take it. All right. Number eight. Who who would you like to see in concert, past or present?
0: Ooh, I think, man, that's that's a good question. Uh, I was actually just kind of thinking about concerts the other day. Uh, and I think I would like to see Guns N' Roses in concert. But, oh. you know, gun, Guns N' Roses in their prime, not like, Guns N' Roses now,
2: oh, so so like back when they were first coming out, or like midway through their career.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, maybe midway through their career, maybe maybe late '80s, early '90s.
2: Ooh, prime time, dude. That's when I was born. Yeah, perfect. perfect. You're a child, dude. We're not we're not so far off, dude. We're we're pretty close. This is true. Anyway, all right, number
0: nine. Do you have a phobia? I do not have a phobia. I'm a real man. Real men don't fear anything.
2: What? You don't fear not being a real man? Like, what if there's someone more manly than you?
0: <laughs> the last real man. How do you get more manly? But it brings me this question: What's your phobia?
2: I don't want to talk about it, dude.
0: What are you worried that I'll never hug you?
2: No, that's not. That's not a real phobia. That's like a. That's like a minor phobia. Are you afraid of bananas? No, I'm not retitus. <laughs> <laughs> I have a frog phobia, dude, okay?
0: Really? I hate frogs. Wait, like real live frogs or just like even like a stuffed frog or like a little rubber frog?
2: Nah, real life frogs. I eat a lot of frog gummies, though. I like frog gummies because they're lime and lime tastes good.
0: Mm, okay. All right. This is good to know. This is good
2: information.
1: No, not... Josh, I hate to interrupt before you get to question 10, but what's the thing with
0: Titus and bananas?
2: I don't know. I'm not retitis. I guess he didn't like one as a child and then just since then he's been traumatized by bananas.
0: yeah I I do know a little bit that yeah he's just uh, said something like maybe he was forced to eat bananas as a kid and uh, he hated them and I do remember a few times over the last few years where people have have messed with him and put like a banana in his bag or something and he's kind of like whoa what is that
2: (laughs) yeah he does not like bananas not at all (laughs) All right, dude the last question are you ready
0: I'm ready for this to be over with
2: why you gotta be like that?
0: Just ask the question.
2: Fine. What would winning the tag titles mean to you? With me specifically, not with someone else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you had to throw that last part in there, didn't you? I uh, you
2: know, you.
0: I, I think I think winning the tag titles, uh, it would kind of mean a couple things. It would mean that uh, this, this, uh, this thing that me and you have been doing together, this mentorship, uh, it has some weight to it that that it paid off. I mean, I've definitely seen I've seen you grow uh, a lot in the last year. Uh, it's something I've had a lot of fun doing. It would show me that, you know, uh, my, my capabilities are uh, in multiple different areas that I can not just be a singles champion, that I can be a tag champion. And they would also show me that, uh, you know, my, my mentoring is something worth worth doing and uh worth uh worth it to me and worth it to you
2: yeah i accept that
0: well you should accept it what else are you gonna do i don't know sulk yeah i could see that you do that a lot too <sighs> you're
2: not supposed to tell people that dude To do that in private
0: <laughs> <laughs> i know and that's why i'm outing you for
2: it that's no that's bad dude don't do that stuff
0: well you better not you better not ask him to like edit this later and take that part out so
2: nope I think Josh, people should before, see the real you
1: Josh before we wrap up the show do you have any any final words you want to say to Silas
2: I miss you dude <laughs> it's all and I, mean, I think you know that a lot of calls yeah. are t- go unanswered but I know, yeah,
0: the, I know the, you miss- the calls and like the daily text at 7am that just says hey love you dude have a good day like you send me texts that like a mom would send their son
1: Yeah, dude,
2: sorry I'm burning you with my friendship, dude. I just want to make sure your days are as great as you are.
0: Well, I mean, you're right about one part. I am great.
2: Yeah, whatever, man. You're pretty cool.
0: You're all right. (laughs) You're all right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the nicest thing I've ever said to you, isn't it? It's up there.
1: Hey, as Cheap Trick once said, we're all all right. And on that note, I just want to say, Silas, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you for being a good sport and playing along with josh's 10 questions
0: yeah uh, well you know kevin I, I appreciate you you having me on and you know i I've, I've learned with josh that you just gotta sometimes you just gotta roll with the punches because if i if i went to done this he would have been calling me all day and blowing me up so it's uh you know sometimes you just gotta give in and and, and do it
1: Do you guys want to give out your social media uh info before i let you go silas you first
0: yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at LastRealManROH. Uh, you can find uh, Silas Young merchandise as well as two guys, one tag merchandise on ringofhonorwrestling.com.
1: Josh, you?
2: I-, I follow you, Silas. I like a lot of your pictures. You can like mine back too, dude. It's not the hard. just double tap it.
0: Uh, I think I have forgot to hit the follow button on yours. What? Uh, yeah. Oh,
2: oh. no, no i'll do it i'll do it when i have your phone next but um yeah you can follow me on twitter and instagram at uh woods is the goods
1: that's me All right, well thanks again gentlemen and thanks to everyone out there for listening keep it locked on to roh and roh's social media channels that's at ring of honor on twitter and instagram facebook.com slash ring of honor where future episodes of the roh strong podcast will be available This is Kevin X saying stay safe and let's all be ROH strong.